Oh no, I didn't swallow my water at the right timing. Anyway, welcome, welcome back, back to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. <laughs> there you go. Got him. Good assist. Saved it. Yeah. Ah, welcome back. Yeah. So the first thing I have to admit today is that I realized that the list of cognitive biases that I was pulling from is actually just the table at the bottom that says other. So we may oh, possibly have started with three or four of them that are like silly to people that are like, that's not the list I memorized. Okay. Well, um, good. The top good of the list is actually them. way higher and there's more like 500 of these. <laughs> good. And we've got some episodes in front of us, um, which is good because we've, we've had uh, an increasing number of, 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 of think boys and think girls from the community who have chimed in and said, wait, I want to do an episode. Um, Perfect. Which means if, if you're one of those think boys, think girls and think NBs who would like to otherwise join us in uh, discussing why we almost make good decisions some of the time. Um, we've got a longer list now to work with, and we want you to we be on here with us. Although it's not in alphabetical order anymore. No, are we keeping track of which ones we've done? Oh. Do we have a checklist somewhere? Yeah, I mean it's the list of episodes because yeah, the title right. is with the one that we've done. Okay. So, in in keeping with Pareto optimality, that seems like a good enough solution for now. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but anyone who has an idea, uh, bug either of us on Twitter. Um, we don't just have a, an official slide. Twitter for this yet. But. Yeah, just cha-cha slide right into the DMs and we'll make it happen. Um, the Twitter accounts are the only thing in the description of any of these episodes. So oh, great. Perfect. That's how you can start that conversation. Nice and easy. So, so what are we talking about this week? This one I literally had to... I, I've read many times, but had to pull up one of those YouTube videos with pronunciation to make sure I was saying it right. Okay. Uh, Pareidolia. Pareidolia is what we're is what we're doing this week. Okay, and what is what is pareidolia? A tendency to perceive a vague and random stimulus, often an image or sound, as significant. For example, seeing images of animals or faces in clouds, the man in the moon, and hearing non-existent hidden messages on records played in reverse. <laughs> okay, so I agree with all, all of those except the former. Yeah, except for the former, and that is something halfway between what is it satan worship and the soviets telling us stuff i don't remember what did our parents freak out about it was something i mean there was a legitimate phenomenon of subliminal messaging used in advertising and stuff they had to make it illegal for a reason <laughs> so yeah no okay I, I, like I, many I, things buried in you know not fake uh, uh, yeah, uh, we know we tough, know psychological but, warfare is a thing. Another another time we'll talk about the um. But Paul, the, the but Paul is not dead. Yeah, we we will we will talk about the airdrops over East Germany another time as a component of psychological warfare. That's easily my favorite, but probably not appropriate for this particular podcast. We'll save it for the next one. Um, okay, so Paradelia, did they get tokens? I'm sorry, I said no, airdrops. Oh, did they get tokens? No, they did. They, <laughs> in a sense, sure, <laughs> they were round. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so pareidolia is the, the effect by which we usually think of as like seeing faces and stuff like, Hey, look, that faucet kind of looks like he's got a nose and two eyes. It is that phenomenon, which kind of like, yeah, I guess. Um, one of the things that we know is crazy is that when you look at the parts of the brain that become active in face recognition, like the fusiform face gyrus, so it's lump just about reach kind of the, the back of your head um, down in where vision vision area gets computed in the, the you know, uh, frontal parietal occipital, occipital pole is primary vision. And then you kind of work your way ventrally and a little more in and you get out in the fusiform gyrus and there's a little, little nodule there that encodes 
faces. It's not just like shapes, it's face shapes and the particular identity of face shapes. And we know that um, we get some activity in fusiform when we, when we experience uh, pareidolia um, and we see things that look like they contain a face, even though there's no human face there. It's not even an animal face. There's just no face whatsoever. We know our brain still fires and goes, oh, face, better pay attention to that. Is that because humans are historically the most threatening possible thing to other humans? I mean, that's kind of like life at the top of the food chain. So, so I, I would wager that if we went and looked at the fusiform gyrus equivalents in other binocular mammal species, so these would be mammals, so you know, warm, warm-blooded, um, milk-creating, haired vertebrates. Um, who have binocular vision. So the eyes both face the same direction as opposed to like rabbits or rats that have eyes pointing outwards in different directions. In binocular mammals, if we looked at the analog area, so the area that would be the equivalent anatomical region for the fusiform face area, I bet we find something like pareidolia there as well in probably at least primates. Like maybe dogs don't have it. it they, they may. Um, I don't know what the dog face research is like, but but apes, I'd be blown away if they didn't have something like face recognition or the ability to look at things and see faces in them. Right. So that's why I don't want to call it a human thing. I don't want to quite call it a human thing. I want to, yeah, I want to at least call it that's, a, that's fair. a primate. I want to at least call it a primate well, so thing. When you say it that way, it makes me think, so it's not about the threat. It's about reproduction. Like, uh, it's about reproduction and, and so you can parsing. yeah find the right thing to bang <laughs> yeah it, but it, but it's it, it's also like can i can i piece together my visual scene properly given that like faces are a really good thing to find because let's go right. back to agent selection agents exist in the universe and i need to be able to find them quickly mm-hmm. um and so a really good agent detector is a face detector um because that if i if my if well, i have a face detection engine and it starts going off and I've got agent selection bias and it starts going off at the same time. Chances are I'm, I am looking at a thing that's doing a thing. I, and that thing might be food and I, I might be food to that thing. And it's probably good to have my nervous system kind of run into overdrive on those two detectors. But you, you, you specifically uh, clarified binocular. I did. So I did. That, I'm just trying to that, is that bets. because the phenomenon... That's fair. But what it made me think was, okay, so specifically when you say it that way, like 3D, you know, 3D, you're, there's the parallax angle of your eyes, which is how we perceive depth. Uh, Dog eyes work differently. And so it makes me wonder if you're right, that dogs are, uh, they're not as tricked by shadows the same way that we are apt to be because our, our like it's good for some things having your eyes on the front of your face. <laughs> uh, well, you, you think about the, the, the trick general... we have to pull to have effective depth perception by ascertaining shadows. We're actually not that great at it. I don't think compared to other animals with different ocular organization. Yeah. yeah and I, I hear what you're describing. Um, it's so it's it's the general like it's it's hard to make a body plan and and evolution has cobbled together really really good lazy pareto optimal body plans uh my my favorite is that like giraffes can it's not that giraffes 
like don't talk is that they can't talk because the evolution of their the nerve that would otherwise control their voice box when they're very young that's a very short path and as they get larger um it has to pass i think through their heart just by a weird quirk of the the evolutionary pathway and by the time the neural signal leaves the brain travels down comes back up to get to a voice box it's been so long that they can vocalize but they the the feedback to get back to the brain to say did i do the thing properly the brain's already moved on i've already kept going so body plans are fucking hard um but a really like robust body plan strategy is the waist goes out the back because that's where we just were and the sensors go in the front because that's where we're headed um and that that appears to to be helpful like writ large for just building a dy- a complex adaptive system um is put put the sensors that way and put the exhaust back there um and if we if we bring it back to pareidolia then pareidolia is the um is the meaning overdrive engine for the sensors it is it is it's it's so big, it's almost always just it's well it's not almost always but it's predominantly vision oriented and it is that that piece of us that craves information running at full speed and looking to tell any story it can about anything it can find. And if that's a cloud, so be it. And if it's a tree stump that looks like a face, so be it. Um, and there's, there's easy like evolutionary bio conversations about like, oh yeah, it'd be, it would be good to between that and agent selection know that that face is actually a face because that's how you don't get eaten. And so you should have a machine that's hair triggered to detect faces and other types of like biotic patterns. Um, but then I think it's, it's specialer because it's the, it's the jumping off point for imagination and narrative. It's not just that kids look at clouds. We'll look at clouds and like, yeah, it looks like a bunny. It's that that's, that's our basis for storytelling is seeing that which isn't there or that which is kind of like, but is clearly not. And then recognizing them as, as the same as an activation of the symbols themselves of the signs they signify. And then saying that, well, this is, this is now a tool I can work with. This is an affordance. And it's interesting. It feels like maybe a different cognitive bias, but one of my favorite things to chase is this sort of way of thinking about the, 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 like why we do that with stories. And the funny thing is a lot of time. Well, I mean, some of it is about organizing humans, but then sometimes your story is right. <laughs> and that's, and that's why it like, if you're, if you're making guesses about the seasons based on a story that you have about a dragon in the sun, like yeah, occasionally the wise men are correct. And then, and then suddenly they're, you know, <laughs> like extra powerful because your story happened to align with what actually happened. Yeah. And now you're going, and now they're going, he's right. It's yeah. Like, oh, broken clock. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But so, so then you're getting into, into bays and then you're getting into like priors and reward prediction error, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to have right, a, a right. great episode for at some point. Um, um, but, but I can't <laughs> think of the context where you're like, well, I saw the face in the tree and then X happened and then it actually turns out to be right. Like where was the causal <laughs> relationship between any form of, of pareidolia and the outcome, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, well, so that's, that's where a it possible makes me, outcome. <laughs> that, that's where it makes me think that, um, it is less like I'm, I'm looking at two right now and it's happening to me right now as we speak. Um, I'm, I'm looking at pareidolia less as a, this thing is important because it conferred a huge, like, um, survival behavior benefit as much as this thing is important because it was aggressively selected for early on in culture. And it is, uh, it is part of like our fundamental wonder engine is the ability to see that, which isn't there or see that, which is there, but really see something else. Like you, you need that in early minds to get organization and culture off the ground. Um, because the world is like, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're turning unknown unknowns into shitty wrong knowns, but shitty wrong knowns are narrative, like focal points that you can get people to stare at with you and then build organization and build organized behavior. Does written language happen without the baseline circuitry like that, that you just described? Because my first thought was like cave paintings and, and and on some level, I mean, it's not just about faces. It's about recognizing the shape of an equivalent, you know, agent, right? So yeah. a stick figure, like, could we get from stick figures to written language eventually if we didn't start from, hey, I just drew this thing and you're able to understand that it's another human because of this vague ability to be like, yeah, that's that's a stick with the and the hands and the feet and the we're good here. What's it doing? Yeah. Stabbing a buffalo. So you I'm know. I'm trying to f- see if I can find the the actual example. Um, this is what I get for not keeping my art history textbooks as long as I should have. Um, but <laughs> we should never. No, I should never have let them go. That's just the truth. That's fair. Um, but there are. Oh, I found it. Awesome. The only um, art history textbook I still have is one called all called on ugliness. It's That's an entire good. textbook full of things. It's it's just about un unaesthetically pleasing art. Okay, I love that. We're going to talk about that in another episode. So, <laughs> what, what I'm looking at, um, and maybe we can throw it up in the comments afterwards if that's the kind of thing we do. Um, this is an article from Science on uh, was the spotted horse an imaginary creature from November 2011, which seems like 40 years ago now. Um, and this is an example of a cave painting in France from what they believe to be about 25,000 years ago. They've they've dated it. And what's what's fascinating about this cave painting is that um, it's it's unclear if this was carved out manually or it was selected as the location for the painting for this reason. But the head of the horse is is in the stone itself. Like the stone they painted against has a sloping face and a jaw and a neck and then a, like a trunk as if as if it is just horse shaped. And then they painted the horse onto it. So again, it's unclear if if that was a carved thing or that was a, we observed the site and the site was clearly for horses type of thing here. Um, But when we think about like how, how might language or symbols come about pareidolia is, is looking at that shape in the stone and saying, that's horse. I know that's horse. My horse detector is going off, even though it's stone. (laughs) And this is important because this is this is the basis of then 
bootstrapping the numinous and, and bootstrapping the divine is being able to see that which isn't there in that which is there. Um, so we, we know that there are early examples of places where these interfaced, how that then relates to language. I mean, we're, we're then getting into to things like handedness. We know that that language, well, we don't know. Strong hypothesis is that language co-evolved with like dexterousness and like good digitation um, right. and probably were, were reciprocally causal of one another um, over time that the ability to to do handed things co-evolved with uh, complex symbol manipulation syntax and 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 early semiotics um, but but pareidolias is beyond just the 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 way by which we might might imagine it might be it might be actually architectural to how we we do narrative writ large. Like it might be that we have to have pareidolia to have culture that is like narrative ready. Um, you need you need people who are good at seeing the face in the tree, and you need you need information processing architectures that see faces in trees before you're able to have a an assembly of information processing architectures that are capable of doing meaningful goal-oriented long-term organization like you need them to be able to talk in imaginary terms first right i like imagining that the horse painting that you described isn't particularly special and that was just somebody like that was the contemporary equivalent of like airbrushing something on the side of your van yeah you know <laughs> but it, hey I mean, baby yeah. got a horse on the side of my cave yeah check it out <laughs> what's going on horse it's, got, detector. It's, got, it's got one here one whole horsepower in it um, yeah, like, so that's, 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 what's so good about, um, our understandings of, of really prehistoric and, and pre-organized society art is, and even in early organized society art, um, having, having reviewed some of the totem idols they found in Katahiok last week on a really good Wikipedia binge. Um, it's all art of the mundane. Like if there's, if there's one piece of art that is the, like the story of, of humanity, it is, like everything that is Venus of Willendorf adjacent. So like fertility idols. So like, right. like women with just absolutely exaggerated hips and breasts or just, just gigantic, just phallic objects that are the like, look, we're here and we're doing this thing. What is this thing? Oh my God, just surviving. Please just survive. Which is like an exceptionally <laughs> quotidian thing, but it isn't. It's also deeply divine. Because it's it's the only thing that mattered, and it was it was the thing by which around all life spun was: Are we going to make it? Like like the original like like fertility totems were the original wag me of that. Like no, we're, we're going to be okay. It's fine. We've got this little statue. We're going to be. We're going to be. Yeah, we're going to be fine because this statue has a giant dick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just you is a giant or yeah uh, has or is is a giant dick. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we like, still do like, the same thing with tequila bottles. <laughs> Right. Uh, um yeah but like yeah play it forward is, is isn't everything just a, a giant fertility totem and, and isn't that kind of the whole the whole, the whole point of it is, yeah, is, yeah. Is, haven't we haven't we not gotten but a lick past that but also again why would we be surprised like we're talking about you know these cave paintings or the lasco cave paintings in the in the context of twenty five thousand years for right. which not right. a remarkable amount of human quality of life changed in 50 15,000 of those years. Um, well, so that's actually a perfect segue to the, the sort of later point I wanted to end on. That's like, okay, where, do, where can you actually use this in your life? 
because this whole conversation is just about like, okay, do you see the man in the moon? But like, it's yeah. still there and you're still having your reaction to it. Yeah. This, this phenomenon is not real in all the ways that we've sort of talked about, but is also very real in that you can't turn off that reaction. And so there are places in your everyday life where there are faces. Yeah. Uh, and, and they impact your happiness. The example I think of frequently is if you think of the back of a car, with mm-hmm. the two lights and the bumper or the front of the car, same way, two lights, bumper, you got a face and eyes and your brain low grade processes every car you see from the front or the back as and a are face. They, are they friendly? The front, are they're they almost mean? always angry. Yeah. Real mean looking. That's like you're mad in traffic because traffic sucks, but also because every time you look in your rear view mirror, all you see are scowling assholes. Yeah. But like that's that's real. I'm mad at you. <laughs> that's, but that's that's real, and that's what you're describing. And this yeah. is this is so I've this you know because 2021 everyone got weird. My version of getting weird was um, particular flavor of like post rat white boy weird, in which you like just kind of like finally heave aside and admit that magic is real. Um, but not the sense that like I I believe in the reanimation of the dead, but like every time some hippie said like oh yes of course that made sense, and then did a tarot reading, I'm like you know fuck it maybe she's right. Um, because the auto generative nature of so much of this stuff that we brush off and say, yeah, but that's not real mostly exists between brains and the things that exist between brains aren't the same things as the things that exist, um, in baseline, you know, cars are hard, fire is hot. And if you think you can fly, please start from the ground. Um, but then almost everything else is made up as part of the constructed social reality. And if you've got a bunch of stuff staring at you all day, frowning, and that makes you feel bad, you shouldn't wag that and say like, nope, um, you know, that's, that's not real. Like that's very real. That's a brain thing. You're, you're, you're operating in brain land and in brain land, uh, people or non-peoples smiling or frowning at you constantly is going to change how you feel. And you can't say, yeah, but I know it's not real. That's not how brain land works. Your face detectors are still going off and processing like, did I do something wrong? Did I, did I, did I look at that guy funny? That's, that's still going to happen to you. That, that part so, is real. And so the answer is that we should all drive Volkswagen Beetles. They're nice and smiley. and They're I mean, pretty well, smiley. Yeah. It's, it's, either, it's either that or the Miatas that blink at each other because yeah, right. they're Miata drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Just the cutest folk. Thanks, Miata okay. drivers. Thanks. Let's, we we let's, see you. We see you being, being cheesy out there. We see you. Um, so like, get out of here. All right. I do have to get out of here. You're gonna make sure you don't have to watch the clock for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. God knows you can just sit here and talk. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us and making good enough decisions. Um, And uh, because we won't get to do this until next time, uh, for those that are celebrating, Merry Christmas. Exactly. Cheers.